Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Hello, welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, a show about cool people in history, especially rebels and nonconformists and activists and people who threw bombs at dictators and shit like that. This week, we're more on the nonconformist side of things, but more about that in a second. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and my guest this week is my friend Garrison Davis, who is also a cool person. Oh, wow. I'm, yeah, a, certif- I know. I'm a certified cool person. <laughs> I, I, I believe I have declared myself the arbiter of cool, which was never my intention but you are among them. I I have you down as an investigative journalist, the co-host of It Could Happen Here, and generally just an appreciator of really weird shit. That's fair. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. Cool. That covers doing? Most, most of the bases. I'm doing great. And we also have our producer, Sophie Lichterman, on the show, best known for her work raising a dog named Anderson. Little known fact, she's also a podcast producer. How are you, Sophie? I'm, 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 yeah. Uh, excellent. Covered Love it that. for you. Thank you. An incredible lack of adjectives. I'm I impressed. know. I'm getting better at this. Against and, the tyranny of the adjective. New, new, <laughs> new essay forthcoming. <laughs> Not the tyrannous adjectives. <laughs> um, the, the main reason people have been asking me if the main reason that Sophie is on the show is to cover for me when I don't get pop culture references. And that is true. Well, uh, yeah, that does happen all the time. Yeah. So, Garrison, today we're going to talk about, it's a very famous year in American history, and we're going to talk about the most important thing that happened in this very famous year. You want to guess what the most important thing that happened in the year 1776 was? Oh, man, 1776. So I'm Canadian. I, I've done uh, uh, by, <laughs> by birth. So let me, let me think. Um, I, didn't people like make, make a piece of paper and sign it and it was like a big deal? Oh, I don't know. I was going to talk, though, about the most important thing that happened, which was that it was the birth of public, universal, friend. In 1776, public, universal friend was born. Garrison, have you ever heard of public, universal friend? I think so. I'm pr- I, I'm, it's the, it, sounds, it sounds familiar, yes. Well, it's not every year that a genderless servant of the Lord 
comes down from heaven and occupies the body of a dying woman who is reborn as basically the nicest peace and love transgender cult leader you could ever hope to meet. Yeah, yeah. And that cult, definitely gender fucking. It's probably not a gay sex cult. I couldn't promise you it's not a gay sex cult. I'll let you decide since the history books sure don't want to tell you. (laughs) So to start off, we're going to have to talk about pronouns and gender, right? Because that's one of the central points of today's topic. And that means we need to start where all conversations about pronouns and gender start with furry porn. I mean, I mean, you're you're not as wrong as you should be, Um, but continue. Yes. Okay, so have you ever seen the the geek hierarchy? It's this chart from 2002. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so at the top of it, at the top of this chart, it says published science fiction authors and artists, and then it descends down through all the various people in the geek hierarchy with like gamers and various fandoms. At the very bottom, there's fan fiction writers, but below that, there's furries. Then below that, there's erotic furries. And at the very, very bottom of the geek hierarchy, well, let me just quote it. The very bottom of the geek hierarchy is people who write erotic versions of Star Trek where all the characters are furries, like Kirk is an ocelot or something, and they put a furry version of themselves as the star of the story. (laughs) Yeah, yes. Okay. Very, very relatable experience. Yes. So- what would you say if I were to tell you that the geek hierarchy is entirely wrong? I, I mean, I'm as someone who is generally not fond of hierarchies, I wouldn't be the most shocked. <sighs> yeah, okay. I appreciate that. Okay, so the singular they as a pronoun is cool, right? Yes. Okay, so the first recorded use of the singular they is from a book from 1375 by a poet named William. The book is called William the Werewolf. It's a romance. It's about a guy named William who likes this lady. The two of them turn into bears and deer. So it's self-insert furry and romance. (laughs) And I know you're thinking, but how is this going to be fan fiction, Margaret? Well, it's a retelling of a 12th century French poem. That's very funny. So the first use of the singular they is self-insert erotic furry fan fiction. Yeah, wow. I mean... It's it's funny how little our culture has changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Archive of our own is just like the descendant of this great tradition. Uh, <laughs> I was very excited when I discovered this. When I was like, William the werewolf. Wait, the author's name is William. And then I kept looking. Yeah. I kept uh-huh. getting more and more excited. Yeah. So... So that's how old the singular they is as a pronoun in English. And of course, historically, the pronoun they wasn't used to describe individual people as non-binary generally, but instead people whose gender is not known or is not being revealed by the speaker, right? Like in the sentence, I saw someone floating outside my third floor window in the middle of the night and I couldn't tell why they were there, right? I'm not describing the specific uh, gender of the person or the sentence if anyone has a problem with the way I'm talking about this, they can yell at me on Twitter at I write okay. Yes, yeah. So, but the singular they, as I suspect you might be aware, is used for more things in contemporary society. Specifically, it gets, and, and all these uses get conflated. So I want to separate them out. So there's, first of all, there's people who prefer to be described with they as a sort of specific gender or lack of gender, right? 
And then there's also a movement interwoven within all of that where people use they as a default pronoun for all people if their preference isn't known. So there's sort of a a definite singular they to describe a person as neither a man or a woman. And there's an indefinite they, which is just not referring to someone by their gender. And I'm personally fine with both of these uses. I, I, really, I, I generally, yeah, I, I enjoy both, both of those as concepts. Yeah. I'm really jealous of the languages that just don't have gendered pronouns, I have to admit. That would, yeah. Language is the root of all oppression. <laughs> So, okay, so the reason I'm bringing all of this up is that I'm going to be referring to this person, the the public universal friend, using the pronoun they, which is not what they did, right? Okay, uh, interesting. Because that concept wasn't really available to them at the time. Got it. Because they're not a non-binary person in the modern context. They don't live in the modern context, but they're also neither a man nor a woman. And so the current way to describe such a person in general, the safest way to me, feels like using they. Cool. And if anyone out there is struggling to accept the singular they, then they should recognize that it predates the singular you. Back in the day, you was the plural. I know you're really excited about your grammar lesson, and that's why you came on the podcast is to learn all this. I swear it's all going to tie in. So you was the plural, and thou and thee were the singular, which is why in most English dialects, you say you are and not you is. So you versus thou and thee is also relevant to today's story because the singular you didn't happen all at once. First, around the 17th century, the singular you became formal and thee and thou were informal, sort of like tu and usted in Spanish. And so this formal or royal use of, of plural pronouns is actually where the royal we comes from. Like when the queen says, oh, OK. Yeah, no, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this came as a surprise to me, too. I always assumed it was like the queen was like, we are in charge of the entire country, so we are the country or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, Um, But it's actually just this like, no, we think we're better than everyone else, so we use the formal. And, you know, they say things like, we are not dead. We are definitely alive. We are definitely not a vaguely animatronic robot. We are not being paraded around as a hologram. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So slowly, eventually, everyone becomes you, except not the Quakers. The Quakers are radically egalitarian and they wanted to show it. So they kept on theeing and thouing. To quote the New York Times, the Quakers founder, George Fox, explained that when God sent him forth, he forbade me to put off my hat to any, high or low, and I was required to thee and thou all men and women without any respect to rich or poor, great or small. <laughs> I, I love that the, this is like the culture war issue of the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> What fucking pronouns are you using? <laughs> nothing changes. No, nothing changes at all. It just gets slightly worse and more complicated. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> we're able to do it faster because instead of the opinion section of uh, newspapers, we have Twitter. Yeah. So, of course, this means that the rest of society is calling everyone royalty, whereas the Quakers are running around calling everyone peasants. Which actually pisses off a lot of people. That makes sense. That is, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. And it's, it's called plain speech, as I understand it. And it's mostly died out today, but you can still be heard sometimes in some Quaker environments. And this, this radical egalitarianism weaves into the story uh, in a similar way as genderlessness. So back to our friend, our universal friend, our public universal friend. 
The person who later became the public universal friend was born on November 29th, 1752 in Rhode Island. And to be clear, in the modern context, if you're talking about trans person, you usually go back in time with the name and pronouns. Like I'm a trans woman. And when I was little, I didn't know I was a trans girl yet. But like in general, if you talk us, tell a story about me when I'm little, the more polite thing to do is to refer to me as Margaret and to use, you know, she or they pronouns. Right. But that ties into the modern conception of transness, which does not map to public universal friends. Conception. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, uh, Puff, who I'm going to call Puff, like the magic <laughs> dragon, <laughs> did not consider themselves to be non-binary or genderless as a kid. They see their story very differently. They, they had a gender and then that changed. Right. So I'm going to tell you that the person who later became the public universal friend was born on November 29th, 1752, as a girl named Jemima Wilkinson. Her and her family didn't keep journals that anyone has been able to find. So there weren't and they they weren't like big, important people. So and also, since she was never married, she doesn't exist on like tax lists. Yeah, or deeds or she anything. wasn't like a real person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want to be invisible to the state, be an unmarried woman in the 18th century. It's as simple as that. I wish I could be an unmarried woman in the 17th century. Yeah. <laughs> or 18th century. Eh, either one. Just don't get sick and you'll be fine. <laughs> we don't know a ton about Jemima Wilkinson before she died and Puff took control of her body. She grew up in Cumberland, Rhode Island, which is uh, where she was born. And it's not a coincidence, actually, to the story that she was born in Rhode Island. Most people know Rhode Island for two things. One, it's really small. And two, it's not to be trusted because it is neither a road nor an island. That's um, fair. Yeah. Uh, making a joke that I made in high school that wasn't funny then. <laughs> so, <laughs> but in colonial times, it was like the free thinker state. Uh, it was founded by a Puritan, but it was founded by a Puritan who got run out of Massachusetts for preaching democracy and some level of religious freedom. And it became like the place for religious freedom in colonial America. Not... Huh. To be clear, not for indigenous people. The yeah. Narragansett people who lived there had tried to stay neutral and friendly to, with the colonists and then wound up massacred by the hundreds in a preemptive attack, sold into slavery and all that shit for their trouble and barely kept their identity intact. So it's not actually land of peace and love. But you could be a different type of Christian than the ones in Massachusetts. Yeah. Well, you can okay. actually be Jewish there. Uh, Quakers okay. and Jews lived more freely in Rhode Island than anywhere else in the colonial period. But yeah, as long as you believed in God and you know were accepted as white within the context of colonial America. So, but it's not a coincidence that a person who becomes like Puff becomes is born in Rhode Island. Her mom dies giving birth to one of her sisters when Jemima's like 12 or something. She's the eighth kid out of 12 or 13 kids, which imagine how fucked up that would be. Like you finally think you have a handle on this like birthing thing, right? You're on 12, 12 or 13. And then I mean, if you, you if you die on 13, that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Like you are you are really, really gambling with your 13th kid. Yeah. Just skip to 14. Say, no, this is not the this is not the 13th kid. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, there's probably some elaborate ritual that you could get you burned at anyway. Um oh, colonial America. So, and she's in a, a, a reasonably prominent family as far as like random not rich family goes. Her her dad has a productive farm and holds local office sometimes. 
and they're Quakers. And okay. it's worth knowing that the Quakers are actually called the Society of Friends. The name Quaker is what people called them to make fun of them because they would shake when they're overcome with religious fervor. And they took their name for themselves in classic reappropriation of a slur, basically. And the Quakers come up in every fucking episode I do about the U.S. Um, really? I mean, yeah. That's not super surprising, honestly. Yeah, because they're they're abolitionists and they're reasonably into egalitarianism and like gender yeah. equality and stuff. You mean they're cool people who do cool stuff? Well, many so, among them are cool people. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've got some problems, which we'll get into in this for episode sure, more than sure. last one. They do come up. They are like almost every episode. It's like, whoop, Quaker. Yeah. If it's yeah. if it's Europe, it's Tolstoy. <laughs> Yeah, if it's Europe, it's exactly. If it's Europe, it's Tolstoy. That, yeah, that is and what a, what, a, what about the ranters? Everyone's everyone's favorite. The ranters will the the ranters and the levelers are coming up in a y'all gotta wait for that one. Okay, all right. Yeah. I'm I'm just saying we're really creating like a really cool, like cool people do cool stuff bingo card situation, like already. Yeah. Yeah, completely unintentionally. I like yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so Jemima, this this Quaker kid is uh gets described as smart stubborn and lazy which i think rules it's a really good combination of to be i think mm-hmm. but I, it's also possible that she wasn't stubborn and lazy she apprenticed as a seamstress and then got fired for being lazy but like maybe she just didn't like working for other people i don't know whatever she reads a lot she memorizes the bible and a bunch of quaker texts or memorizes chunks of the bible i don't know and one place i read said that she worked as a healer but i haven't found any other background proof of that and then her family started having trouble in the society of friends because the quakers are pacifists and there's a revolutionary war happening and three of her brothers are thrown out of the church for joining the continental army to fight against the british and there's a trial and everything their charges attending trainings for military exercise and then jemima's older sister patience got thrown out for having a child out of wedlock so the quakers not perfect but that brings us to the Revolutionary War, which frames the whole thing. Okay, what's the story you get in Canada about the American Revolution, the U.S. Revolution? Probably one you get annoyed that's called the American Revolution. That's my guess. Uh, we don't actually get annoyed. Uh, uh, the Canadians usually just call it America. Um, okay. They, there is not much of like a debate around North America. I don't know. I mean, how American culture is viewed in Canada is always really interesting, and it depends on what region you're in. Mm-hmm. Um. But in terms of the Revolutionary War, they were just like, they went a bit harder than Canada did, I guess, is how it's framed. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know fucking anything about how Canada, because, like, cause go ahead. Canada, because Canada still has the Queen. We still we still have the hologram. Oh, um, yeah. Right? So, like, we, we just did not go as hard as America did. Yeah. Well, I'm going to present to you the story that I got told about the Revolutionary War. And then the story that I think is more accurate. And then the weird shit that I'm going to overlay on top. Great. So the Revolutionary War runs from 1775 until 1783. And what I heard in school is that it's a story about a gang of plucky, adventurous men who decide enough is enough. And they fought and they won their freedom against the greatest military power in the world. T-tax. T-taxes were, were a problem. That's right. And it all started by throwing tea out of a boat. Uh, into the river, into yeah. the ocean, or the something, the the, the something, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know, a bay or something, Boston. And I know there was a cherry tree that got cut down, 
Um, <laughs> there was uh, uh, Paul Revere going around on his horse. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of it. And then then Ben Franklin invented the kite. So, yeah. And electricity. And electricity. <laughs> yeah. There was no electricity before Benjamin Franklin. That's right. Nor was there equality and freedom. Um, but they brought that around. Yeah, that's the story we get told. They were all good, boring Protestant Christians somewhere on the spectrum from a bit Puritan to a bit Enlightenment science-minded. I was definitely taught in Canada that there was a lot of Freemason fuckery going on, though. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, no, I mean, in terms of like how many of the founding fathers were also Masons and all that kind of stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, totally. That was that was definitely, definitely uh, emphasized a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the... That's the normal story of America. And you know who else is the story of America? Capitalism. Is it selling, selling your soul for money? <laughs> selling your soul for money is what you do in America. That's what makes us free. Land of the free because of the brave and the selling ourselves for money. If you have money, you can use it to purchase things. <laughs> like the things that you're about to hear about. Because <laughs> these are some ads. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli history wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we are back. 
And we're talking about the story of America. And I want to tell a second story about America, which was that the Revolutionary War was a bunch of slave-owning white men who wanted to have more autonomy in how they conquered the country to kill indigenous people and take all their shit. So they let England and France fight a proxy war on their soil, and eventually they beat the British. Enslaved black people were promised freedom if they fought for the English, so they did. And some fought for the colonies, but far fewer. Indigenous people were split on the war, but most supported England because the king was slightly better at respecting treaties and had less vested interest in their subjugation and genocide. It didn't help that George Washington had been so actively interested in genocide that the Haudenosaunee called him the town destroyer. 13,000 indigenous people fought on the British side. The divided loyalties uh, within the Haudenosaunee actually splintered the the Confederacy, which was a democratic agreement between six indigenous nations that was older at the time than the U.S. is now. And when the USA won the war, it didn't end colonization. It cemented it. And one of the world's most powerful slave states rose from the ashes of war. That sounds a little bit more accurate. Yeah. And I'm glad more and more people are aware of that that's what happened. There's a third story. It doesn't really run counter to the other stories, but it informs it. When we talk about men in powdered wigs with shitty muskets and rifles, we, we talk about them, right? But we don't talk about that the colonies during the Revolutionary War were really fucking weird. I don't want to use the word cool here, but they were definitely not boring. To quote author Paul B. Moyer, the Revolutionary Era was a time when prophets walked the land, people exercised miraculous spiritual gifts, and sectarian groups espousing fantastic creeds grew in eager converts. America sundered its ties with the British Empire, which not only upset long-standing structures of political authority, but ultimately called into question all sorts of traditional power relationships, including those that had ranked people according to categories of class, sex, and race. Basically, the Revolutionary War reshaped American religion, and it threw open doors of possibility. Not, they didn't throw those doors open, like, really wide. You still had to be Protestant fucking Christians. <laughs> Throughout the history of white people doing weird stuff. Most of it needed to happen under the guise of Christianity in the first place to be allowed, right? Like, yeah. And all of like the super like weird, weird traditions throughout, throughout the areas where white people were, a whole bunch of stuff just got repackaged in like a Christian box and be like, no, we're not doing all of this weird stuff. We're doing... Uh, Christian mysticism, and you're like, sure, 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 you are, buddy. We're yeah, you you won't get burned at the stake today, but <laughs> watch your step. Yeah, that is a that is a huge thing that informs, I think, what happens in today's story. So pessimism and hierarchy are getting questioned and rejected in a lot of those religions. Free will is encouraged, although basically free will means that like you can. It's up to you to get into heaven. So it actually in some ways becomes like anti-free will. It's like you have to follow these rules or whatever. Um, <laughs> but You have the free will to choose if you're going to go to hell or heaven. Yeah, exactly. The Methodists and the Baptists are coming into their own, plus dozens of smaller sects like the Shakers, the Free Will Baptists, and the Universalists. So in this context, public universal friend, not actually all that weird. Gender was reshaping also at the same time in a completely bad way. Not in a good way. American men wanted to stop being such English sissies. <laughs> Tubbs of flat circle. <laughs> yeah. They all wanted to be fucking Daniel Boone. They didn't want to be British soy boys is what you're trying to say. Yes. 
<laughs> enough of that soy boys, which is funny because it's like the British were still a bunch of like evil fucks, right? <laughs> yes, they weren't like good. <laughs> they weren't like pacifists <laughs> who were just rolling over. Anyway, um, so they get rid of their powdered wig. They grab that raccoon skin hat and go off to go conquer some people, but not in a wimpy British way of conquering people <laughs> in a good manly American way. And the role of women shifts too, and it starts shifting in a kind of similar direction of women becoming more independent and they're running the farms for men off at war. They run activist organizations, all of that. Women were even involved in the war at all levels, including sometimes as impromptu soldiers. These soldiers were called the Molly Pitchers generally, a sort of half mythical figure of women who threw down in the war against England. They will never get their own episode because both sides of the Revolutionary War can go fuck themselves. I am almost annoyed that I'm doing an episode that takes place during the Revolutionary War, making me care about it. But the women who fought for the revolution, they managed to, you know, they're like, okay, we're we're shifting our gender roles around all of that. And they absolutely end up structurally worse off at the end of the war. The promises of liberty, like voting and property rights, do not apply to them. Women are supposed to go home and make babies to raise up the next generation of good American manly man soldiers. And even religiously, this doesn't work out. Women start off at the forefront of starting a lot of these new sects and new religious ideas in the the Great Awakening, which is a period of religious turmoil before the revolution. And then those sects formalized and women were cut out of the picture. And then even men get fucked over by patriarchy and being forced into gender roles, right? During the Great Awakening, before the revolution, there were like men and women both moving towards this concept of being brides of Christ, which included... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm actually curious. I, I hadn't run across this much before. I think you have more of a religious background than I do. And so I'm... Yeah, I mean, my my like experiences with the religious background is more evangelical. We don't mm-hmm. have as much of like the bride of Christ type thing. Because mm-hmm. that that's generally more in like traditional... Uh, like congregations or sects, okay. Evangelicals are generally not, but you definitely within the Christian mil- milieu, you're, you you hear stuff about that concept a decent amount. Okay, yeah, that, this might tie into this whole thing. So it's basically like so religious men were moving away from these like masculine traits like pursuit of wealth, physical violence, and uh, drinking alcohol. These were seen as like masculine traits, but they were moving away from those things to become brides of Christ. After the revolution, nope, no more bride of Christ. Enter the Christian soldier. Time's a flat circle. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And a good manly Christian soldier knows that his wife knows her place, subordinate to him. No more equal in the eyes of God. Shit. Yeah. I don't know if my cynicism of the U.S. is coming across well enough in this script, but (laughs) (laughs) might have made it too subtle. So... Jemima Wilkinson, let's come back to her. She's not around much longer in this story. She dies soon. Jemima Wilkinson is still Jemima Wilkinson in 1776. She was a 24-year-old unmarried woman. Some historians are like, wow, she must have been so worried that she hadn't gotten married and had kids yet. But I have a feeling that was not a burdensome arrangement for her. Uh, Not getting married was also a fairly common thing among Quaker women anyway. Something like 10% of them never bothered. And Jemima was cheating on Quakerism. Uh, Half of her family had been kicked out, so I don't really blame her. She was hanging out with the New Light Baptists as well, which was a reform movement within the Baptist church. And they were into this idea that divine insight came from divine revelation. 
The Quakers didn't like that she was cheating on them, and she joined four of her siblings in being kicked out of her local society of friends. Then, less than a month later, she got sick. There was a Continental Navy ship called the Columbus that decided to live up to its namesake while docked in Providence, Rhode Island, and it brought disease to the people living there. This disease was probably typhus, and it was called Columbus fever. Typhus is a bacterial disease that used to kill the shit out of people all over the world, but is pretty much under control with antibiotics. Jemima Wilkinson was living at home when she got sick on October 5th. By the 6th, she was sick as fuck. The doctor came and was probably like, I don't know, sorry kids, you're living in the wrong century, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's exactly what doctors said back then. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, once we figure out biotics, we're going to figure out antibiotics, and we're going to be in such better shape. So just hold just on for a couple hundred give years. Give us, like, 200, 300 years, and it'll be slightly better. Yeah. Unless it's a virus, then you're still fucked. So, eh, whatever. Yeah, here's some leeches. I actually don't know enough about exactly where they were at with their medicine at the time. No, I think, I mean, yeah, Graham would be later on. And oh boy, in terms of fun Christians, I mm-hmm. think I think everyone's everyone's pretty pretty familiar with with. No, I don't know who Graham is. Oh, the the guy who invented the Graham cracker and would oh. give people the bloodletting baths and all of all the stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hooray. In terms of like fun like Christian doctors. Yeah. What do you think is going to be the stuff, uh, the stuff from right now that people two hundred years late from now are going to be like, oh my god, I can't believe <sighs> they did that. That's something I wonder a lot of the time, actually, and I don't. It's always it's always hard to say, right? Because whenever you start getting sure of yourself, that's just like hubris and foolish. Yeah. Um. But it's something I definitely contemplate a lot. Like, what types of things we do now will people eventually be like, "Whoa, look at those absolute <laughs> lunatics!" Yeah. <laughs> I I hope that we look back at cancer the way that we currently look back at like things that antibiotics fix. God, I hope so. Yeah. I mean. That would that would be great. As someone who was exposed to many cancerous chemicals the past two years, that would uh, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are good for you. <laughs> that's that's what the doctors and the yeah. bottles say. Yeah. Yeah. Air. There's nothing wrong with tear gas. It's it's actually used to treat um, a lot of uh, unruliness. N- nothing wrong with the harsh the, the harsh metals in the tear gas canisters that were older than I was. Yeah. That doesn't take much. Sorry. <laughs> no, but I know definitely there were there were a, a, a few of them that were like banned from the military because they kept killing people yeah. in the military during during like basic training. Yeah. So you're like, oh, they were just using those on kids, huh? Yeah, that makes sense. It's exciting. It is exciting. Everyone gets to be part of a grand experiment. So, the grand experiment of typhus is uh, is killing Jemima. On the tenth, you know, uh, five days into into her illness, the family is basically like figuring out what the fuck her funeral is going to be like. She's she's not coming back. And then on the eleventh, she died. At least to hear the public universal friend tell it. The doctor claims otherwise. The doctor claims that um, this person recovered. But on October eleventh, the person in bed wasn't sick anymore. They got up, told everyone that Jemima had died. Her soul had gone up to heaven. And God put a genderless divine spirit into the body to reanimate it. The spirit was named, of course, the public universal friend, a holy prophet who we're going to, yeah, call Puff. I mean, I have I have had similar experiences when I've had intense, intense fever dreams before. So I can I can I can kind of see how you could get there. Oh, yeah, no, totally. I mean, like, honestly, 
the wildest part about this is picking a name that isn't a name as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. <laughs> like I thought my friends were, you know, interesting that they call themselves like raccoon or squid or something, but uh-huh. Um public universal friend. That's a you know there I've never heard such a non-binary name before. I know. I mean, it's it is much more aspirational than just naming yourself after whatever the closest in, in inanimate object is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, today I'm cup because that's a cup that I'm looking at. Yeah, and to be clear, my name is Magpie, also, and I, uh, <laughs> I am not attempting to to speak badly of people who name themselves after. Oh, yeah. me neither. Yeah. I just think it's funny. Yeah. I just think it's a nice trend. Yeah, exactly. I had this moment realizing that, like, you know, where um, people who don't know us might might yeah, yes, think yes. wrongly. Okay, so while they dived. Uh, two angels appeared with, in Puff's own words, golden crowns upon their heads, clothed in long white robes down to the feet. The angels announced that there was room, room, room in the many mansions of eternal glory for thee and for everyone. They said that everyone will come, may come, and partake of the waters of life freely, which is offered to sinners without money and without price. Oh, and that the world's going to end. Okay. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. In less than four years, uh, 1780, the world's going to end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, mm. So it's the it's the last chance for sinners to get absolved and live forever. And Puff is like, hey, and all you got to do to get saved is follow me. And new sects and even people experiencing a new birth before heading off to preach or those claiming direct messages from God were the style of the time. So this wasn't as weird as it sounds. And Okay. I mean, well, okay, it was as weird as it sounds. It's just... It, it wasn't as irregular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And so friend is a, a word for Quaker, right? But yeah. public friend was a word that Quakers were using for their itinerant preachers. So a public friend was someone who goes around and, and spreads the good word or whatever. And I'm reasonably sure that universal is a nod to the universalism concept that was in yeah, style at the time. That's that was That was the next thing I was going to ask. Because that would that was also where my brain was heading. Yeah, which I, you know, it's like I I, I grew up lapsed Catholic and am still there, and so I don't know everything about all this stuff. But as far as I can tell, universalism is basically like everyone eventually gets into heaven. Is that more usually? Um, I mean, it there's definitely a lot of different sects. I mean, there's like a philosophy of universalism, uh, but for Christian ones, yeah, it's like. We kind of all have our path that we're gonna end up inside, inside, in, inside some place that we're like meant to be. Okay. It's not. It's not. It's it's not like Calvinism and like it's not like determinism. Yeah. But it's it it's it's definitely more of a softer look at it. I I believe, I could be wrong, but I I thought Jefferson was a big universalist. I I will take your word for it. I def I definitely remember that when I was more into theology. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I learned about this shit as it relates to people like this. So it's like a, a little bit interesting to me that Puff is going for universalism, basically, since they're, they're saying you have to get to heaven through my teachings. And I, I personally just hate the heaven hell thing so much that it kind of rubs me the yeah. wrong way everywhere. But, yeah. you know, whatever. So... Puff isn't the first Quaker to rise up from their deathbed and head off to preach. I'm mostly including this other person because their name's Margaret, and I like including Margaret's in the story whenever possible. 
Margaret Brewster was a Quaker who, 100 years earlier in 1677, rose up from her deathbed from illness and decided to head off to Boston to preach. And Boston at the time was violently anti-Quaker, like in a it's illegal to be a Quaker or be friends with Quakers kind of way, like a break down the doors of every Quaker gathering and arrest everyone way because fucking Puritans. I just looked up something on, on Thomas Jefferson and he was he was in fact not a universalist. He was instead a Unitarian, which is a much worse, much worse theology than <laughs> universalism. Um, okay. And universalism does have disagreements on whether hell exists or what it is between different sects. Generally, they don't believe in like an eternal hell. They generally, they, uh, if, if there is a, if, if, if there is a hell, it's like more of a, like a, it's like a purgatory that you like spend being punished for any kind of bad deeds on, on your way to like your place of happiness and fulfillment. But it's not something that you like stay forever. Oh, okay. No, that, that makes sense. So our girl, Margaret, she's risen up from the dead, right? And she throws on a burlap sack and she uh, paints her face black with ashes. But this is uh, hundreds of years before blackface as a concept in U.S. society appeared. And Quakers would basically sometimes dress in sacks and paint themselves with ashes to show how humble they were or whatever, which is hmm. it's not a practice that ages well. Right. No. Yeah. But but she she dresses up like this and she and four others storm into a Puritan church in Boston and people shrieked and shouted and fainted, which rules. She was arrested, stripped naked, and drawn through town tied behind a cart while being whipped. People really didn't like the Quakers in Boston at that point. But anyway, that's, that's the Margaret, who was the other Quaker, comes back from illness. But let's talk about Puff. But before we talk about Puff, we need to talk about wholesome products that yes, we can Garrison, stand behind. Do you have a wholesome product that you would like to plug here? For example, we have previously plugged potatoes as a concept, tap water as a concept, huh? a good comb yeah. as a concept. I don't know what terms of a, a concept that is truly, truly pluggable to, to be up on this platform. Um, I don't know. There's there, there's there's there could be a lot of a, a lot of things that are plug worthy. You know, oh no, these aren't plugs. These are advertisers. We're we're sponsored. Oh, ad- we're sponsored oh, by the concept of potatoes. Oh, so yeah, so they're paying us. Yeah. Oh, that's totally different then. Yeah. Um, in in that case, we are sponsored by the in, the rough concept of uh, CR gas, which I I keep <laughs> I, I keep I keep a canister. I have I have a little dome. That I keep a, a saved mm-hmm. canister of uh, next to where I do work, and I've been told by quote unquote scientists mm-hmm. that I shouldn't do that because me being exposed just to the canister where the metals were could have quote unquote health consequences. Now I don't really trust quote unquote scientists. Like, mm-hmm. where do they get their authority from? I I don't know. Yeah, so, there's no system by which to find out where they come up with their information. There's no record of how they how they how did the God they tell took. them? No. So come on. Yeah, I it's a little bit iffy, but yeah. CR gas. I think eventually I might just use it as like a pipe. I think it would be a good, a good way. So if you want to have a good time, invest in some CR gas. Or any of the other products and services that support this show. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, 
not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli history wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we are back now that we've all heard about both good things and then the things that Garrison mistakenly believes are good and the things that advertisers are trying to sell you, which may be anywhere on the spectrum between those things. So so Puff, for her part, wastes no time to start preaching their new religious sect. First, they try at their local society of friends, of course, but the Quakers are not having it. Within Yeah, like, was it... Was it... Were they like just excommunicated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty recently. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I think that they showed, I, the, the feeling I get is that they showed back up being like, I'm back from the dead and now I'm the public universal friend. And like, and they're like, nah. Yeah. Like one by one, everyone stands up and is like, get out. Um, <laughs> so, so instead they, they go to a Baptist church and they, they go to the service. And then after the service, they give a sermon of their own under the tree outside. And the sermon was, the thing that's cool about Puff is less their like groundbreaking theology. One, I only half care about theology, and two, what they were saying was not wildly original. The the public universal friend was like, virtue is good, sin is bad, repentance is good. Also, the world's ending. So all the same shit that you hear everywhere at the time. Yeah, but they are not the usual preacher. Is the big difference. So they start preaching at home on their father's farm. Their, fa- their family was their first converts, and soon their dad was thrown out of the Quakers for believing his kid. This whole family gets kicked out of the Quakers. It's <laughs> Three more of their siblings are soon to follow. 
<laughs> and I, I gotta say, I think the single most utopian thing, like the part that's like the hardest to believe about this entire thing, is that Puff was like, I'm not your daughter anymore. I'm neither a man nor a woman. And their family was like, all right. Like, I know it happens, but it doesn't even happen to most people now, you know? No. It was, yeah. I mean, they must have been very convincing about how God sent them a a new a new spirit to inhabit their body. They must have, like, really sold that. Because it seems hard. Yeah, they... They they were really good at this thing that they did. Um, the abolitionist Moses Brown came to see them speak. And incidentally, so so John Brown's death kicked off the Civil War. But apparently this guy, Moses Brown, had a brother also named John Brown. And his arrest for torching a British customs ship in 1772 was a big part of kicking off the Revolutionary War. So I think the lesson is don't arrest people named John Brown unless you're ready for war. Or the lesson is that fucking everybody used to be named John Brown. Yeah. I'm not sure which. Puff starts getting popular. People liked the strange genderless preacher who said things they kind of already agreed with. Puff also advocated celibacy. Celibacy wasn't mandatory. Even married couples were encouraged to not fuck if they could help it. And I, I get the feeling that this was actually a fairly big part of their draw. Not necessarily from a self-denial point of view, but like, let's say you just don't want to fuck or especially you don't want to fuck your spouse in a time when marriage is not something that yeah. you always have a ton of control over. Or you don't want like 13 kids. Yeah. If you don't want 13 kids, you hang out with Puff. Maybe you're gay. Maybe you're ace. Uh, maybe you don't like your husband. Maybe you don't want any more kids. Maybe you don't like babies. It's Everyone's welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's welcome. And then the way that gay shit gets written out of history, it's hard to read between the lines, right? Because like history books are like, and there were no gay people until, you know, until Stonewall in 1969. And like, you know that statistically a fuck ton of these people are gay. So it's, it's always just a weird trying to read between the lines. Later on, Puff is going to live in a big house full of unmarried women and occasionally get caught with them in, in their bed. But they, they, they just sound like good friends to me. Yeah. Um, history books are just going to put that in as like throwaway one-liners without any context or analysis. They'll be like, and then one person accused them of having a a girl in their bed or whatever. But gal pals. Yeah. Either way, Puff preaches against lustful sex. And if you're going to have sex and let's face it, people are going to have sex. It better be with your spouse. Okay, sure. So that's, that's their, that's their party line, right? Puff is also really into plain dress on paper, but they definitely had style and they were always wearing new clothes and, and nice clothes. Not like fancy clothes, but they had good style. And they they wore clothes specifically designed for androgyny. They wore a wide... Oh, all right. So th- this is what the kids would call... They would say that a uh, public universal friend has drip is what, is what ah, the technical term would yes. be. I, I believe you. I have heard this before. <laughs> I am old enough that if I said this, it would sound like fake so i won't <laughs> uh their drip was a wide, <laughs> let's all just make fun of margaret really quick but y'all get it in, get it in. all right so they wore a wide-brimmed hat like male quakers like the dude from yes. the quaker oats logo and then they paired it with clothes of various clergy like robes and cloaks and shit plus a cravat which is like what later beca- develops into a necktie I mean, that's basically how I dress. 
Yeah, yeah. No, Garrison started off this call with a huge wide-brimmed hat. And, I was... and I'm currently wearing one of my biggest cloaks. Yeah. Yeah. Trans non-binary fashion has not aged a day. Yeah. Well, they also, and this is literally what I wore before. I actually would still wear this, but my, um, they wore skirts paired with waistcoats. Oh, me I was doing that a few days ago. Yeah. No, it was one of my favorite looks. Um, and, uh, basically they wore a mix of men's clothes, women's clothes, and then priest clothes. But then priest clothes from all different denominations. Oh, they just like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you are the reincarnation of Puff. I, I couldn't prove it. So. Yeah, you, who knows? Most scandalously, they never wore a cap like women were supposed to wear inside and outside. And most people actually mistook them for a man. They were tall and they spoke with a deep voice and signaled masculinity in their dress more than femininity. So. And when they were asked if they were a man or a woman, Puff generally replied, I am what I am. That's great. Oh, yeah. It gets better. When people gave them shit for how they dressed, they apparently replied, I am not accountable to mortals. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Trans culture is not aged a day. Nope. It is exactly the same. Nope. <laughs> and so, so a lot of the women in her congregation picked up on the style. And at least one place claims that in private, a bunch of the women took on the names of male prophets. So you have this whole culture that's cross-dressing and taking names of, of other genders. A lot of Puff's outfits, especially the clerical elements, seem designed to hide their body, which I absolutely wholeheartedly respect. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the trans person wearing a baggy hoodie trophy. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but just with clerical robes. Yeah, which I am literally wearing right now. <laughs> Before I was fully out as trans and I was just a cross-dressing man named Margaret, one of my friends asked me kind of politely, is your gender identity Wraith? And and honestly, yeah, I could see, it. I could see it. Yeah, yeah, that's not not my gender identity. That's yeah, that's it's not wrong. Yeah. It's just incomplete. Yeah. And then I start a band called Feminaz School. I mean, like, um, I don't mind the race thing. Ah. Uh. So even the men among them moved slightly towards androgyny, although less in uh, clothing and more in mannerism. And sure, yeah, yeah. And these definitions of effeminacy were really Revolutionary wartime shit. They. They showed emotion. That's what people complained about the most. Oh, that's funny. Those sissy men with their being impacted emotionally by the world. Fuck them. Even worse, they would ask Puff for help on how to do things. Men should not ask a, quote, woman for help. What's wrong with them? Some of the men even let women be their equals or run their households. Huh. So. Okay. Scandal. Yeah. Soon. Puff is preaching throughout Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Fitting with their role as a doomsayer, they particularly liked speaking at funerals and executions. <laughs> Transculture's not aged a single day. There was a, and there's a war on, so death preaching is kind of a boom industry, right? And they would, they would yeah. pray for the souls of the condemned and the executioners, and they ended up getting called the friend of sinners, which is a oh, cool based. Name. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is just like, Trans person goes on a first date at a, at a cemetery trove. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, so their mannerisms were just odd enough and their voice was eerie and otherworldly and masculine enough, which I have a feeling was an affectation. Everyone kept being like, their voice is so eerie. And I'm like, this rules. They're just putting on a voice. But who knows? And it, it, lean, it lends credence to their claims of divinity. I mean, or they were, whatever, like, or their voice changed completely when, a, you know, they died in a 
spirit of the Lord enter their body. Who, who knows? In 1778, they converted the entire family of a justice of the Rhode Island Supreme Court, William Potter, Penelope Potter, and their 13 kids. Puff moved out of their dad's farm and into Judge Potter's mansion in a town called Little Rest. Potter, uh, Potter started building onto the mansion to, to make room for everyone. And since uh-huh. Puff's doctrine was abolitionist, Potter freed all of the people he'd have been enslaving. And okay. All right. In the, gr- I mean... in the, yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, like cults are sketchy. Slavery is worse. So in the paper, rock, scissors, that is cult beats slavery, then cult, fine by me. It's, yeah. it's not actually paper, rock, scissors. Slavery doesn't beat anything. It's just bad. And, and also, People are allowed to come and go freely, so it's actually more of a sect than a cult, and I'm just going to use the terms interchangeably because I'm not a proper historian and I don't really care. Cool. (laughs) Quakers started pouring into Puff's group, and Quaker authorities were like, you're not even allowed to go to a meeting because of how many Quakers were uh, jumping ship on Quakerism and joining Puff. Well, it has a name later. Later, it's the Society of Universal Friends. And... Most of their converts are people who got hucked out of the Quakers because the Quakers were throwing everyone out left and right. Thousands of people start coming to their events, all led by this genderless pe- preacher. In 1779, Puff published their first pamphlet with the evocative title of Some Considerations Propounded to the Several Sorts and Sects of This Age. Trans person makes a zine trope. Yep. And, <laughs> and it's complete plagiarism. Yeah, trans culture has an age today. To quote from the book, The Public Universal Friend by Paul B. Moyer, and to avoid plagiarism of my own by admitting I'm quoting here, the publication is a bald-faced act of plagiarism, having been taken almost word for word from two classic Quaker texts, the works of Isaac Pennington and William Sewell's 1722 History of the Society of Friends. That's, That's wonderful. I know. By 1783, the sect has a name, the Society of Universal Friends, and they start building churches. Women and men are both joining in about equal number, most young, like in their 20s and 30s, but some old folks are joining too. And a statistically significant portion of them are unmarried. Like it's something like 5% of adults weren't married in the greater population, but it was like 10 to 15% within, uh, within the society. Nice. And... So all these people are joining this sect that is not theologically different from anything else. And so it it has to be about the sense of community that they fostered. I just wish I knew what the community was actually like. They probably weren't like gay within any kind of modern sense of that word. But I, at least on like a sect wide level, but members tracked their dreams and a lot of them had anxiety dreams about marriage. I read one. Interesting. Yeah. Like one of the things that they all kept dream journals, which fucking rules. And I read one historian say that this is because they were anxious about their marriage to God, but I don't think that's why they had anxiety about dream yeah, before they like No. They joined a like celibacy cult. Like this doesn't <laughs> Most of the followers were white, but there were numerous black followers as well, including folks born free and folks who escaped slavery and some who had been freed by other followers. And I I couldn't tell you how common it was for uh, these new sects to be have significant black membership other sects i i don't know a bunch of the followers started preaching in their own right including women and puff had a a right-hand woman sarah richards who after joining was with them for the rest of her entire life huh gal pals yeah well non-binary gal pals yeah sure 
And so the whole history of the society is buried under rumors and accusations that may or may not mean anything. So like so many people hate them that it really muddies up the, the record about them. But Puff did work as a mediator of conflict, an oracle of prophecy, and a sage. People would come and be like, how do I run a farm? How do I cook? How do I make clothes? So both worldly and otherworldly affairs. You could go to the Public Universal Friend to find out. One thing that I think people are getting wrong, and at least in some of the stuff I read about it, like some of the kind of quicker stuff, or especially the stuff that wants to talk about how great Puff is, people, like I've read some stuff that claims that it was like fairly freeform and anti-authoritarian, but I don't think that that was true. Um, in 1784, Puff published an uh, eight-page list of rules, and it was called, and I swear they are not good at names, the Universal Friends' Advice to Those of the Same Religious Society. <laughs> they they really, like, elongate all of their titles. Yeah, which, I mean, to be fair, was the style at the time. It's like, why all those books are so cool. It's kind of like, the book title is just like, here's what the book is about, you know? And in this book of rules, it says things like, Ye cannot be my friends, except ye do whatsoever I command you. Yeah, not not the best. No, this is this is where Puff starts losing me a little bit. Some of the rules were all right, like don't lie to people, don't lie about people, don't spread rumors. Others were like, don't talk nonsense, only talk when there's a reason to. Or children and servants owe obedience to their superiors and superiors owe justice to their subordinates. Or church service starts at 10. Gotta be on time. <laughs> um, you're allowed to drink a little bit, but not to excess. Okay. Puff would drink wine sometimes. And you're allowed to fuck every now and then if you like really need to, but it's better if you don't. And gotta be married to fuck, of course. And I'm the only one who can give you permission to get married so I control who gets to fuck. Uh, and you should avoid all non-believers and make interactions with them short and curt. And of course, believing me is the only way to go to heaven. So this is this is like all of my least favorite stuff about the, about Puff all yeah. in one paragraph. Yeah, that's the kids would say that's a lot of L's. Yeah, is, is what, the, is what see, the kids would say. See, at some yeah. point, though, you're just going to start lying to me and, and tell me about things that the kids would say that are not true. So I'm decided I'm not going to believe you about any of these anymore. <laughs> but hey, and and then the other thing is that that. But all of these rules, it actually, I mean, this is completely, like, they still are less authoritarian than most of the other religions around. Like, yeah. But I think that's where we're going to leave it today. You've got this new sect is just starting to come into power. Uh, Garrison, how are you feeling about the Society of Universal Friends so far? I mean, I do like that it carries on the great tradition of people who are, like, what we would mo in modern day call, quote unquote, trans having really interesting ontological spirituality because of how they refer to their own ontology and their own sense of being in self and how that relates to how they see external reality. I think that I, I like that it carries on that tradition. So it's it's definitely one of my this type of thing is like my entire alley. So well, yeah, I thought you might be the right person for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, do you have any uh, thing you'd like to plug here at the end? Um, let's see. You can you can look at me post pictures of my new cat on on twitter.com at hungrybowtie. Uh let's see. If if you're in Portland, there's going to be a rad pride on June 26th. I will be tabling 
some pretty ridiculous zines, as is our great, <laughs> as is our great tradition. It will probably um, have already happened by the time people hear this, unfortunately. Well, Maybe. I kind of thought we would throw it in near this oh. time so that we could get it in for Pride. Okay. Well, I take it back. You all are maybe even hearing this in June. Oh, wow. Well, anyway, uh, if, if you want some ridiculous zines about gender and uh, cultism, then it's fine, fine to be there. And, and Margaret, anything you want to plug at the end here? I have a new book that may or may not be available for pre-order by the time you hear this. It's called We Won't Be Here Tomorrow, and it is short stories about uh, a trans girl who feeds men to a mermaid lover and hackers who troll CEOs into quitting with drones and stuff like that. Uh, it's available from AK Press. And I also would like to plug the fact that I'm buying time because I forgot my Instagram handle. My Instagram handle is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's so funny is your Instagram handle is literally Yeah, name, yeah, yeah, it? yeah, it is. But, but it's... <laughs> yeah. But I, I... So you can follow me on Instagram at Margaret Killjoy. Say, I almost said Magpie Killjoy, but that's how you can follow me at Twitter <laughs> is Magpie Killjoy because I made that one a long time ago and I haven't changed it for no good reason. And that's how you can follow me on the internet. And you can hear more about public universal friend on Wednesday. Wednesday. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.